everybody. Welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in continuity order. I am so happy to be recording our episode for late September today. I was just saying, this is the tightest turnaround we've ever done on the show. We're recording this just basically five or six days before we release it, which will make this very relevant. I'm often a month ahead of schedule. I am thrilled to be joined again by the talented and handsome Steve Orlando, as well as my incredible uh, guests and co-hosts, uh, two of my favorites, Rob Salerno and Steve Duda are here with me. We were going to make this an all Steve's episode, but Steve Fox had to bow out at the last second. So I'm really happy Rob Salerno could join us and we will uh, look forward to talking to Steve Fox another time. So it's a half Steve, half the time episode instead of an all Steve, all the time episode as originally stated. <laughs> uh, I'm going to check in with each of my guests. Let me have you each introduce yourselves. Uh, let me know your gender pronouns, where we might know you from. And uh, today we're going to be reviewing Amazing Spider-Man 92, which uh, includes a corrupt politician. We'll get to that in the latter half. So my intro question for today is, uh, can you think of any local politi politicians who have run on an odd platform? Anything that comes up here is fine. Uh, corrupt politics of any kind are welcome <laughs> in this space. Uh, let's begin with Mr. Steve Orlando. Hi, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Obviously, as you said, Steve Orlando, writer of Astonishing X-Men, Scarlet Witch, Midnight and Apollo, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, Spider-Man 2099 as well, uh, if we're talking about Marvel. Um, as far as politicians, it's hard to say which is the... Well, so I did have... Uh, I do come from upstate New York, where we had someone whose actual name was Keith Batman uh, running for localist, uh, local, I think, state assembly um instead of state senate but we did have like elect batman signs all over my town um and it's one of my favorite guys i still have one of his signs that i definitely stole in my office uh but new york also does have i believe his name was jimmy mcmillan uh who was famous for starting the rent is too damn high party uh while in the gubernatorial race probably like 10 12 years ago who was probably my favorite politician completely unhinged uh, but if you go back and look at his debate performances, they are incredible. Uh, he could turn nearly any question into uh, some sort of actually like Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali inspired rhyme about why the rent is too damn high. Um, and it was a solid platform. But shocker of shockers, he didn't win. Um, but he was technically pro-gay marriage, uh, famously saying that if he was governor, uh, you could marry a shoe if you wanted. Uh, but you could also marry someone of, of the same sex. So completely unhinged person, but probably my favorite politician out there. Uh, it's so good to see you, man. Uh, it's interesting. We're going to talk about the Iceman issue in a while, but this issue was written over 50 years ago. But we see this corrupt politician that seems much more sane than a lot of the politicians we're dealing with in America in 2023, which will be part sure. of our conversation later. Uh, let's go over to Steve Duda next. Hi, Steve. Hello, my name is Steve, and my pronouns are they and them, and if you know me from anywhere and you're listening to this podcast, it's probably from other episodes of this podcast. Um, <laughs> you may also know me from shitposting on the really terrible social media site, but I'm on some other ones now. Um, I when, when you emailed us about this question, uh, you said reprehensible or ridiculous, and I don't have just about any good things to say about most elected officials in the country of my birth. So I'll go with reprehensible since we're talking about a law and order politician and I'll bring up the very recent um, 
statements by our former president, Donald Trump, about liberal Jews voting to destroy America and Israel. Some of the most vile shit I've heard from a politician in a very, very long time, outwardly spoken, not currently holding office and with any grace, never will again. Uh, here, here. Uh, we are not shy about our opinions on this show when it comes to that topic. Uh, it's great to see you, Steve. And then uh, thank you to uh, Mr. Rob Salerno for coming in at the last minute. Rob, it's good to see you. Hi. Good to see you too. Hi. Uh, tell us, uh, tell us about yourself. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> my name is Rob Salerno. Uh, people uh, in this community uh, may know me from my uh, blog that I started during the pandemic, uh, Iceman is a Homosexual, in which I uh, am still uh, off and on rereading all of Iceman's uh, appearances in uh, Marvel Comics in chronological order, uh, and looking at the 2015 retcon uh, that, you know, where he came out and saying, oh, did it really fit with everything that came before? And more often than not, it does. Um, so uh yeah i posted my uh latest update the first one in over a year just uh, last month at, at therobsalerno.com where you can read it uh and i'm a playwright and journalist and uh from my journalism career i actually do have had a number of uh, interactions with uh, different politicians um i'm from toronto canada originally uh, and uh, I was uh, there through the uh, entire Rob Ford mayoralty. Uh, if, uh, Americans may remember him as the uh, crack smoking no, mayor of Toronto. He's an I icon. Nuts. <laughs> yes. Uh, there for all of that. Um, and one day, um, uh, I was about to perform a play that I was that I had written, uh, and I was about to go on stage. I was literally five minutes from going on stage um, when I saw my phone ring, and it said um, uh, Mayor Rob Ford was calling me, and I was like, "Oh shit! This I don't know why he's calling me. I'm not working on anything, but I better pick it up. It might be important." Um, and uh, picked it up, and he was like, uh, "You called me. Why? Why did you call me?" And I'm like, "I." I didn't call you. He's like, you called me at 4 a.m. last night. What was what was so important that you were calling me at 4 a.m.? I'm like, I, I honestly have no idea. I didn't call you. I'm sorry. He, he started to threaten me. He was like, you're going to, um, you know, I, I have people monitoring this. This is my personal line. And how did you get this number? And I'll send the police after you. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I have to go on stage. And I just hung up. And it wasn't until after I got off stage that I looked at my phone and um, I had butt dialed him on his uh, secret personal number that only journalists were supposed to have the night before. I don't even remember. I don't know how I'd done this, but yeah, that's my stupid Rob Ford story. <laughs> I just assumed I just assumed that you were his crack hookup and you were just coming out after all this time. <laughs> I I thought maybe there was something about there, like he got my number from somebody from something. I don't know. It was just so weird. Uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I don't need to introduce myself further. You guys all know me here. Uh, politicians. I live in Utah. I've been in Salt Lake City for 12 years. There is an enormous gay population in Salt Lake. However, it is also the bedrock foundation of the Mormon Church, which existed for 60 years as its own government independent entity before it became part of the United States. So the roots of the Mormon crazy run very deep here. And you get a lot of people who run on like Mormon family values platforms here. Some of the worst names in America in the last 10 years have come from Utah, like Mike Lee and Jason Chaffin etc. Uh, however, the local politics, uh, when you see someone on like an anti-trans platform or an anti-gay marriage platform, and you'll hear something like, 
if we allow children to receive gender affirmative care, what's next? A man can just walk into your school and shower with your daughter. And like these ridiculous like leaps of logic that make no sense uh, happen relatively regularly here. Although my city has a pretty strong uh, democratic kind of liberal bend to it. It's a very interesting place. Like the headquarters of the Mormon church is right down from like Harvey Milk Boulevard, which is always a strange place. I love that leap of logic, too, because it's like, wait, so are you saying right now an adult man could just walk into your school and shower with your teenage son? Like, is that actually something that goes on in schools in Salt Lake? Uh, So I'm going to ride the glow for just a moment and spend just 60 seconds on this. I just got home literally last night from the Uncanny Experience Convention in Minneapolis. Uh, A huge portion of the podcasting community was there. It was in a place that looked like the Xavier Mansion. Uh, It was a very safe space for queer and people of color and trans and disabled people. There were professional cosplayers who looked like the X-Men and and their villains around the mansion. Uh, There was a Cerebro helmet on a desk. There was a Dazzler concert. Uh, I got to moderate the voice actors panel for the 92 cartoon series and meet Chris Claremont, and uh, we had some funny interactions. I've got some funny stories to tell. I also got to teach a really cool Silver Age class that people seem to really love. Uh, it was my favorite con I've ever been to, and I'm still smiling. Like, I'm having kind of like a dopamine drop now that I'm home, because it was so great the whole time. It was just joy. So thank you to everyone who was involved in that incredible experience. I can't wait to go again next year. Wait, I'm, a, I'm a hype man. I love Flame Con. I love regular cons, but this is my favorite ever. I had a great time. When you were on that um, X-Men panel, uh, was uh, uh, tip of my tongue, the voice of Rogue on that panel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lenore Zan is on my show. Lenore Zan. We're kind of buddies. Yeah, she hung out at the Dazzler party and sang Patsy Cline as a karaoke song for the crowd. It was great. Amazing. Well, well, because th- th- you have another great politician story, because uh, a lot of people don't know this. Lenore Zan was a member of the Canadian Parliament for two years. Yep, I introduced her using that fun fact. It was a, it was a great time. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but it was a really powerful experience, and I have a lot of really funny stories to tell. I'm going to tell you all one funny story quickly, and then we're going to jump into Iceman content. I'm at the bar. It's the last day. Uh, we're at the hotel next door, and there's a very, very drunk woman sitting at the bar kind of just yelling weird things at people as they go by. A middle-aged white woman who's saying things to no one, like, I shaved my legs and put on a dress and wore makeup, and everyone still thinks I'm ugly. Like, no one's talking to her. She's just talking. Anyway, a man in full Wolverine cosplay from the con walks in and walks up to the bar and orders a drink. He's literally wearing claws and the cowl and everything. And the woman looks over at him and says, What are you, some kind of ninja turtle? (laughs) And I laughed until I cried. It was my favorite thing that happened the entire weekend because it was so stupid. Uh, anyway, I'll be sharing more stories as uh, as we go ahead. Uh, I Mr. will tell you, I was once I was once at Emerald City Con speaking to someone who I love, and Nocenti, and she was at the bar looking at my book Undertow, which I had just released. This was like 2014, and in a similar but even more cutting version of like lack of awareness. She looked at the logo on the book and said, "Oh, Image Comics. Uh, wasn't that wasn't that quote Toddy's little project? What did he ever get up to?" And 
I didn't know how to tell her that like Toddy was like a multimillionaire and like one of the cornerstones of the industry while she was off being a war correspondent, but it was beautiful. It was one of my favorite moments with Anne. Um, I, I also adore Annie Nascenti. Uh, one of my be like, well, you know, Anne, just a small indie book. That's you just keeps doing it. You know, maybe somebody. <laughs> will uh, Steve Orlando, if you would set up the Astonishing Iceman series you are currently writing for Marvel. How did this book come to be? What is the story you are seeking to tell? And let me tell you in advance, as I tweet at you regularly, I love this book. I think it's so wonderful. Well, that's good. And as as with any book that has queer elements or a queer lead, like nobody has strong opinions about it at all, which is really a relief. Um, with Astonishing X-Men, it felt like the right time because we knew what was going to be coming in Fall of X. Uh, with, with Iceman, with Bobby being a rule breaker, being the quote unquote, you know, going back to the first issue of X-Men, being a class clown, being someone who will put himself on the line and make a show of himself and draw attention to make other people feel better, to get a rise out of people, uh, well, to get a rise out of the right people and make the right people feel better, that is, and, and, and enjoy themselves. So this felt like this was the moment to sort of uh, write that across the sky, uh, you know, like it, it, with Orcus saying, mutants, you can't be on Earth. It's the time that Iceman is going to say, well, I'm going to be three times as much like, you know, moving around society. I'm going to be, I'm going to be everything you say I can't do. I'm going to be doing it twice as much as I would have before, just because you said I couldn't do it, especially to the tune of trying to kill me and nearly succeeding. So there's that aspect as to why now, you know, this was like a, a solo freedom fighter. Seems like a very Bobby story to us when we thought about his character, even though he's often thought of as a team player, whether it's, of course, the X-Men and Krakoa or even things like uh, things like the champ, the former champions, champions, not defenders. Right. I always get them confused. Yeah, champions. Yeah. Although he was uh, later on the new defenders as well. Come on, man. Uh, but um, <laughs> so so like there was that. But then also from the like storytelling perspective, if I do a book with a gay male lead or a queer male lead, I try to not repeat myself. So here was a chance for us to sort of talk about intersectionality, put him together with Romeo. I know there are folks that are very pro-Christian and I'm not anti-Christian Frost, by the way. Uh, but, you know, like he's off in the white. Well, he's off wherever mutants are uh and uh and not available so again like that felt like an opportunity to show this perspective on uh you know the mutant metaphor and and quote-unquote interspecies within the realm of comics only relationships um you know with romeo it always feels like there's this short-sightedness to to me and us um sort of the villain side of that moment in house of x when cyclops says like to mr to reed richards like you know where have you guys been you know, like we 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 finally had to help ourselves. And in the same way, it's always been strange to me that most of these anti-mutant groups seem to really only mind mutants. They don't mind mutant adjacent people. They don't mind other people who are different just because like the inhumans. But in the real world, obviously, bigots tend to be plentiful and bountiful with their with their with their hatred. Um, and so Romeo like gave us a chance to explore that. He knows that even if inhumans aren't in the crosshairs now, they're gonna be, and he doesn't want to be the and then. He wants to get out ahead of it. And especially because, of course, he feels strongly for Bobby. So uh it was a chance to sort of explore something that I haven't really been able to before in comics. And then with Bobby and Romeo, sort of for you know, like to have a crisis couple, which we also haven't done. You know, they are together uh and making things work because they're sort of in. I mean, the mutant kind of generals in panic mode all the time. So being able to focus in on what is working between them, what isn't working between them, 
their attempts to define this relationship where Bobby wants it to be one thing and Romeo maybe wants it to be another. You know, those are moments and uh, that we haven't gotten to really talk about in comics, at least I should see in Big Two Capes comics. Of course, they've been spoken about uh, in books before. Um, and that was really appealing to us. And uh, along with that as well was to finally, now that Orcus is in charge, sort of do the superpowered version of, of, of again, the other side of cultural appropriation. You know, p- plenty of people throughout comics do things to get mutant-like powers, whether it's take experience, whether it's, uh, you know, get tattoos like the Wyman, whether it's Loeb's Korean, you know, faux X-Men that he had. And all they really want is the powers and the glamour and, the, and all that stuff. Well, now, uh, as Bobby will say to someone in, in issue three, like now they get the whole package. Now that Orcus is going after people for being either former mutants or mutant adjacent, um, they finally get to know the real experience. And there's a sort of a karmic balance to the, there that is that is very appealing to me and interesting to investigate throughout the book. And of course, Bobby isn't without a heart. He's still going to help these people uh, as he does. But he is there to sort of say, well, this is the full thing. You can't just have the cool shit. You know, you have to deal with it all. And now you finally get to it. You're finally seeing what it's like. How do you approach your research on a character like Iceman? I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of stuff. I know you read a lot of X-Men books and you're very familiar with the continuity. Uh, I'm always thrilled at the characters you choose to pull in. Rocky Beasley was a ridiculous surprise who maybe only Rob Salerno and I recognized. <laughs> well, you, you know, know. What? You, you texted me before I even got to the issue to say Rocky Beasley's in this issue. And I like had to think for a second be like, what? <laughs> Is is that is that the bully? I because I, you also said Judy's in it, so I'm like, oh, I know, I remember Judy. Judy Harmon. Yeah. to having no idea who Rocky is, so that's that was completely new. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, the key is you you get all you really need to if you see the flashback in the first issue. But if there are people who've been with him for uh, following Iceman for a long time, it's a little bit of a bonus. Um, you know what makes sense and it is interesting for the character is always the lead. It, it was like Iceman is in a much different spot than he was even, you know, quote a year ago in comics time, almost 10 years ago in real time. And as someone online had pointed out, you know, going home after actualizing, you know, in a new setting and things and sort of engaging with people who still know you as the person you were when you were younger, that's part of the queer experience. So things with Rocky, things with Judy, who I wish I had time to put in as well in more than the flashback, but you know, the needs of the pages must. Um, again, that's just something I hadn't seen before uh, with uh, with this type of character, to be able to send Bobby home and have the tables turned where he's the one that's secure and he's the one that can kind of sort of make, you know, beclown his former bully. Um, I hadn't seen it before, at least, again, at least not in a big two pseudo capes comic. So it, when we knew we were going to have to do these things to draw Iceman out of Antarctica, um, and the family was going to be one of those sort of focal points and touch points. You know, we got to get everything you can out of every issue regarding research. You know, once you figure out where you're going, you dig into the key issues and the evergreen work as it relates to those stories. Like, I wish we all had like these crazy development times where we could read like every single appearance that a character has ever had. Um, we don't, you know, like I saw the I saw the documentary about Yudorowsky's Dune and they're like, oh, we're just going to rent a castle in France and plan this movie for months at a time. Um, but sadly, we don't get that. So you read, I mean, you you obviously are already familiar with the characters in general. You refresh yourself on the evergreen work. And then once you know where you're going and what type of characters are going to fit, you go in and you read around that as well. Uh, Rob, do you want to talk about Romeo? <laughs> I... I actually just want to say I really appreciated since you were talking about the flashback um, that you included that flashback because 
I feel like it um, does a lot of work to also rehabilitate Bobby's parents who have gone up and back and forth in whether or not they accept him over the years. And because they were introduced as like the parents who, you know, have been raising a mutant son and taking care of him and would stand up to the town, uh, you know, lynch mob and then kind of had this story through the 90s that turned them into um bigots and and it was a it's a it's a great story and then we kind of like ended up doing it again in the the most recent Iceman series and it was it was nice to see these characters kind of like to remind us that these were par- these were people who loved and accepted him at one point and uh and that 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 they're they're back to that or at least uh Maddie is at this point because uh William is is no longer with us yeah um, I was gonna say like you know in real life oftentimes like something traumatic like that brings clarity to a family situation so mm -hmm. I'm gonna say it's nice that the father is dead but it was certainly fortuitous for the story speaking of uh, Romeo, since uh, Chad asked, I, well, I also I'll do, I'll do a quick plug. Go see Rob Salerno and I's uh, two-hour episode on Iceman's mom and dad. If you would like to learn more about our thoughts on these characters, <laughs> yeah. Um, but speaking speaking of Romeo, um, I what I, I I'm I'm not Team Romeo, Team Christian, Team whatever. I don't want there to be a team. I I want Bobby to be single and and dating lots of guys. I'm. I don't need to have like the you know the the one boring relationship that defines this character. Um, I kind of like that he's he's he has a whole bunch of different interests and they can bring up different sides in him. And I I'm kind of I you know I wasn't I don't think I I ever really like felt very strongly about Romeo before in the the teen days, but I'm I'm really enjoying how he's uh, uh, how this relationship is playing out in in this specific context. Well, I appreciate it. And he was kind of a blank slate uh, for the most part. He'd appeared a lot, but I, you know, like I went back and I said, well, is, you know, he doesn't even seem to have a non, well, a quote unquote real name, but, you know, could we decided it could just be Romeo at the same time, no one had really dug into his past. So you've seen us like hint at that, you know, with uh, him, you know, using the, using little snippets of Persian, which I put together with my friend, Dark Sheik. Uh, who's awesome, by the way, if you're like an X-Men or wrestling fan. She's a, the the only Iranian trans wrestler out there. And she's a huge Krakowin fan. She's got a Krakowin gate in her backyard in Las Vegas. Wow. Grew. Um, but he was kind of a blank slate. So, like, we hopefully we, we see a little bit of his character here. He's not perfect, you know, but he does have, like, a, a strong moral center. Um, and he's not just a pushover. I feel like empaths sometimes feel like the feelings characters or they're, you know, hide there. Well, they're like empath from Hellions, where everybody is sort of leering at them. So we've sort of tried to push them in a different direction. But anyone is like, I mean, clearly I agree. Or Bobby would, or they wouldn't be having talks about what their relationship is. Um, I think that based on his narrative, like something like an open relationship would be challenging for Bobby. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not what he needs, right? So again, we've been able to use the realities of the fall of X scenario uh, to sort of have him put his dip his toe in the water there. Well, of course, never saying the phrase I just said for S&P reasons. Bobby would seem to be a little bit more hierarchical poly for me. He needs like that boyfriend at home, but then he can fuck some guys on the side, right? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, and there's also assumed like, that he and Christian were open. Like I, I assumed that that was the nature of their relationship. Well, you may have assumed right. I'm just saying that we certainly can't uh, 
say certain things. Uh, <laughs> but you may have assumed right. Um, you know, I mean, I think there's a push. I don't even know what I think about it, but there's a push in this is a digression so i'll try to keep it quick but i feel like there's a side of like shipping culture that is oddly conservative within the realm of being open to queer sexualities as long as you're fucking obsessed with monogamy and you want to just like have a cake shop you know so um and i listen i've been following that like when i broke up midnighter and apollo in midnighter the book hadn't even come out yet um and i was getting these messages usually from other queer men who were saying that, you know, I made Midnight or a trash bag slut like all gay men. And I would like assume that it would be some like MAGA motherfucker. And no, it was this dude who was gay and like just obsessed with soap operas and talking about how monogamy was the the the, the peak of human civilization. I, and I mean, literally, those were things that he was saying. Um, and but, but Midnighter being a trashy, slutty gay man was the best part of that series. <laughs> well, and the thing is, too, is that I just I want characters to earn things like they do in real life. It freaked me out that Midnighter and Apollo were immediately like acting like they were the one for each other after the reboot because they had only known each other for like three months. It worked for me before the reboot because they'd known each other for five years when they were on the road together. But we didn't get that time after the reboot. And in the same way, like. I don't think Iceman is ready to say that anyone is, quote, the one, if there is one, if that's something he wants. Um, and that's just kind of how I feel about, like, there's always this push, like, you can do these characters, but you better marry them up real fast so that they're like, or at least relationship them up and commit them so that, you know, they're not doing anything too weird. You know, like, we don't want to see them being too, too mischievous. Yeah, I feel like that that's kind of what happened with Night, um, uh, North Star where you know once they married him to kyle like I, that's been the status quo for like 13 years now and i i'm not going to try to set myself on fire in the comments here but at least north star was an adult imagine if you were two 17 year old gay men getting engaged across space and deciding that you were never going to be with anybody else at 17. i actually don't think that that's oh, that was the plot of glee Sorry. Well, <laughs> I actually don't think that's a bad story, by the way, as long as it doesn't work out. Because people do that all the time. Like I'm many of my friends from upstate like had kids and were married by like 20, but they're divorced now, um, in many cases. So I don't even think that say these two characters, one a wizard, one a shapeshifter from space, uh getting engaged at 17 is necessarily bad, but the idea that it's just gonna magically always work out feels like at the minimum, it feels like you're leaving toys on the shelf for, uh, from a storytelling perspective. Uh, Steve, uh, if I could ask, what, like, I've, I've really enjoyed Astonishing Iceman, by the way, so far. I picked up the first two issues, and a huge surprise for me as somebody who does not like Iceman a lot and does not read Iceman comics outside of the very first volume, which was great. But <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. What, what, what is it that makes Iceman like a unique superhero to you? I think, I mean, you got to decide who some, with every character, you have to decide like who they are and what they're about. And like, you know, I had hinted at it to the beginning, pardon me, at the top of the podcast, but for me, we're at least like, and, and there's no right and wrong, by the way, like some people will write Batman and decide he's about obsession. And some people will write Batman and decide he's about justice. One is not right and one is not wrong empirically. I might have my own opinion, but you just have to decide um, for yourself. As, as a creator. So in the case of Bobby, as I said, I was hinting at, it went back to the class clown stuff. 
it, and and the adult version of that to me was someone who would do almost anything, in, including including swallowing his own trauma to make sure that other people didn't worry uh, and, and other people could could get along for another day and things like that. And you'll see that in the book. I mean, people have noted that he, you know, he's a very different person. He's more vulnerable around Romeo, but when he's out in the real world, he's like three times the like the preposterous Iceman he usually was because now the mutants are even more in danger. He feels like he's got to do that. You know, he, he's got to show that like, look, things are I'm, things are still fine. I'm out here making dad jokes and fucking people up, you know, with ice. Um, so to me, that's him. Like he's someone he's someone who tends to put himself at minimum second or, you know, or behind everyone else in the room so that they're all being bettered. And conversely, then he's someone who has to learn how to at times put himself first and have confidence uh, and do things for himself. I mean, he's regaining his confidence. That's related to his power set. He's had this near-death experience he didn't really think could happen. Um, and it has, you know, we knew that going in that whatever Orcus did was gonna nearly kill him in the book. Um, so now it's about getting back to that confidence, getting back to, you know, I feel like he's definitely in a fake it till you make it mode now when it comes to his public persona. And hopefully by the end, uh that persona and who he is in private are closer to being one of the same. But they're never gonna be the same because again, he doesn't want to be anything except this icon this personality for for people on the street it's when you're alone with him where maybe you see that Iceman, you know doesn't always just smile in the face of danger or if he is he's not smiling on the inside even though it's a corny thing to say uh you know no i, th I think that's really i think that really gets to the heart of what i know about him i mean uh, he says something to spider-man issue four where he's just like you know like because spider-man says you know you're not worried about all these things and he says well like that's something i admit to you you know but you never let you never let the fascists see you flinch so, you know, that's, and I think that's a very uh, relatable thing uh, in real life. Spoilers for Spider-Man or Uncanny Spider-Man? Uh, it's Peter in issue four. Well, because Peter is the one that he's been friends with for a long, long, long time. Not that he has it with Nightcrawler, but Nightcrawler is sticking to himself for reasons you will see in Uncanny Spider-Man. Uh, Peter and Peter and Bobby are not very good friends in the issue we're about to read. <laughs> um, oh, not at all. When we take uh, issue two of Astonishing Iceman, I uh, I really love the way your brain works. And you and Jed McKay are the two that always send me scrambling for the, like, where the hell did this character come from? Uh, with Scarlet Witch and, like, uh, Moon Knight, whatever I'm reading, you guys are always putting out characters that I have to go uh, access in the encyclopedia. But we see, uh, we see Iceman fighting uh, the elements of doom, and there's a particular element who can't be frozen, and Bobby's got to come up with unique ways to fight him, unique ways to use his powers. While at the same time, he's being faced with this old town prejudice. And you pulled heavily upon the old 60s backup stories about Iceman's origins when he first manifests his powers and gets recruited to join the X-Men, uh, which is another way of, you know, he's showing what it means to be a hero in a place where he is very actively and acutely hated. Uh, and using his mom as kind of the foil there, I thought was a really, really incredible approach. Uh, I'm excited to see where this series goes, man. Uh, it, it's got to be interesting to try to create a credible threat for Iceman that is not just, you know, some guy that's on fire. <laughs> well, because you'd have to be really fucking on fire at this point. Like, like you know, uh, it's not like, I don't know, like, like, like fire itself is not uh, that much of a threat to him. So, yeah, like... It is a challenge, but at the same time, like despite his on the back of the trading card power level, he is a very much like many people. He's a very fallible and imperfect person. So there are ways in. 
Um, but they're just maybe not the normal, like, oh, you punch in the face real good. And we're definitely, I feel like he is like, his sense of humor has maybe gotten even more morbid. I mean, someone's cut, someone cuts his head off uh, in issue four and he just like grows a new one and picks up his old head and uses it to beat, to beat the other person. <laughs> so like, you know, but I feel like that again, that comes with the near death experience. Um, and, and this idea that he hasn't really thought of himself in that way in a long time. And that's not even when you get into things like Krakow and resurrection, right? Like even as Iceman, he was kind of feeling like, you know, what could really happen to me? I'm, uh, I'm always impressed, Steve, as well, by the mindset you seem to put yourself in when you're writing these different series. Marauders has such a different mission statement than Scarlet Witch, than Iceman. Just comparing those last two, Scarlet Witch is so much about restraint and forgiveness and uh, and reclaiming identity, where Bobby's is big, fancy superheroics, but weirdly vulnerability underneath it all as well. Uh, everything you write feels like such a different characteristically sound book in in a, they're they're so unique in their own way. And I think it takes a I think it takes a lot of talent to do that. i I see other writers sometimes who a lot of their books feel the same, but you seem to put yourself in a completely different mindset based on what you're writing. Uh, what's that process like for you? Um, I mean, I'm just that good. No, that's a joke. I'm uh, <laughs> um. I don't know. Uh, and I don't mean to give like a cop-out answer. I think that I am a very detail-oriented person in general, and I tend to, I don't know. Uh, this is a weird thing, but I people tend to think of me as a very good gift giver. Uh, and I don't know that the connection there will be obvious, but I think the th thing is, is that I, whatever, I've always had a talent for sort of like, at least figuring out like the interests of another person, right? Like, and so it's kind of, it's not dissimilar from when you get a new gig and you got to figure out what makes these characters tick. Um, and at the end of the day, like our job is to tell the best story possible with these characters and, and have them the rea react the way they would, not the way we necessarily would. I'm, I mean, not that Wanda is a placid person. She can get very angry and she's going to get even angrier as things go on. Um, but I'm not in any way as understanding as or compassionate as her, but that's who she is, and that's her journey. Um, and I'm also not as carefree as Iceman. Uh, I mean, but there are little elements, of course, of, of yourself that you put into things. His tendency to sort of like take pot shots at himself, which is sort of how I pivoted from his sort of like backbreakingly cringeworthy dad jokes that he's told in the past um certainly that is my sense of humor as well you know like like in a way Iceman is one of the easier books for me to write since Midnighter Midnighter is like me if I you know had murder abilities and my sense of humor is more like that but I've been known to just take the piss out of myself because you have to right and then that's that's an aspect of Bobby otherwise you're just a boastful asshole so um I don't know you find something that you can relate to in a character but after that you have to spend time getting to know them like you would a real person because uh, otherwise you are, you know, basically just writing yourself with a different hat on. It's interesting to me, the just using Iceman, his uh, jokingness, uh, you're writing him very much as he's very vulnerable. He's very stripped down, but humor seems to be his kind of default status to combat vulnerability. But you've also described him already today as he's using humor to be the big showman, to, to uh, cover his superheroics with humor in a way that Spider-Man does, but maybe even bigger. Uh, I like the the multiple layers of just that piece uh, alone. I mean, I also think like at the end of the day, like it's um, it'll sound absurd to say, but like not everybody, because not everybody likes anything. But the vast majority of people like like 
the vast majority of people I've met uh, enjoy a sex joke, right? So like, I just feel like for people who've met Bobby and feel like he's just that guy who in the past has been like making drag race references and things like that. Like, I do feel like oddly that's a bridge builder. Um, and that goes for characters in the story. Um, but it goes for characters who maybe haven't read him in a long time either. Um, and that's just speaking to my own experience, right? Like, like when I came out in upstate, many of my friends were like, Oh, so you just talk about guys the way we talk about women. Cause we're, and I'm like, yeah, I, I suppose that's true. Right. Like, and, uh, in that, cause I, cause I myself am a crass piece of shit. So um, I don't know. I think that there's something relatable and grounded there. And you need that, you know, you need that, especially with a character like Iceman that has that massive power level once he's in, into super heroics. Uh, we'll do a quick Romeo lesson here because it's a really interesting thing. After X-Men number eight, when Brian Michael Bendis brought the teenage of X-Men to the present and Jean Grey outed Bobby he goes to a gay club and meets a cute boy who his name is Romeo, who turns out to be one of the Inhumans. And there's a little bit of like Inhumans versus X-Men involvement as these two are a couple. But then Romeo kind of disappears and Iceman goes back to the past. Uh, he then ages up uh, over the years and his 30 year old self or however old he is comes out. And then it turns out Romeo fell in a hole somewhere or landed in another dimension and also aged up. So they get to meet as grownups and they're like each other's first boyfriends. But also now they're currently together. I'm oversimplifying, but that's a that's a cute little version of their very weird love story. Uh, <laughs> uh, very Steve, comic book love story, though, you know, like like who hasn't been there? Who among us hasn't had some sort of time lost? memory hold boyfriend that they only uh, that they only remember at the age of 33 you know <laughs> you sound like Simonis right now <laughs> uh okay i'm really excited to see what's coming forward uh again your deep digs we it looks like we have mr clean showing up next and who knows who the fuck before the clean end is, of clean is the big villain uh and and listen that's uh it, i'm not gonna beat it around the bush like i got i was away from x-men for like five years and I got back, I came back for the the Morrison and Casey run. So I, I like when the opportunities clean came up, especially because he'd been hinting at hinted at at House of X. Yeah, we absolutely wanted to do it, and we had to make him scarier. I mean, we have to make him. I mean, the stuff that he does to himself as the series goes on to be able to fight Bobby is, uh, you know, increasingly horrific. And that's also me doing my best, like Glenn Fabry drawing a cyborg type impression. Uh, but. Yeah, I mean, he will be there. We know we're having the Captain America of the Rails next issue. We know we have Spider-Man, Peter Parker in issue four. And then five is our big finale, which I don't think the cover has been released yet. But I mean, it's, it's all coming together there. Um, you, and it will certainly be explosive. You don't have to confirm or deny, but if Equinox, the thermodynamic man, shows up in the series, I will lose my shit. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I've thought of... It's funny, I didn't ping him but i did ping someone called i think the thermal man or something like that but at this point they were kind of like you've done enough like when it comes to characters <laughs> that uh perhaps i shouldn't say they don't have the largest fan bases um like i pulled elements of doom slash death and they were like okay maybe we should use people that care that that like readers may know at all um <laughs> but trust me i love stuff like that clearly I had a world where I wanted to, you know, after the time I spent with Extraño, there I had a world where I wanted to polish Freedom Ring in this in this run, but it just didn't pan out space wise. Um, but I love maybe Freedom Ring. <laughs> yeah, you know, everybody loves a gay character who gets killed by having a spike shoved up his ass. So, mm. uh, but who also 
my favorite thing about that character, he also packs his own syrup to go out to the restaurant with. That's the that's the weird little fact I remember. He puts syrup in his purse so he can have the well, syrup he likes at the pancake house. That's very <laughs> cool. well, That would actually be if it were gravy. Like when the, the last time I went to Canada, I was so excited that you had ketchup and mustard. I was at uh the hell it's a chicken chain that has like this like goofy ass chicken mascot, and they had ketchup, mustard, and then gravy, like out of the like like stampy things and it was like a paradise for me i was so so excited was this saint hubert saint hubert uh yeah you have to white english that up because i don't saint hubert yes so you're right it is because i usually say that it's saint viator but that's the bagel place in montreal so you are correct it is saint hubert Uh, i'm not terrible i just don't have any friends um so yeah, and like when I saw that they had gravy right next, like coming out of the shooter machines, I was like, I never want to leave. I live here now. So that that gravy uh, in the in English Canada, the the there's a competing chain called Swiss Chalet, and it is that gravy is like crack. You don't understand. I I they now like make the powder that you can buy at stores to make the the gravy at home. And every time I go back home, I load up my suitcase with tons and tons of packages of that pow- of that gravy stuff. It is so good. Oh, I believe it. I'm like, I mean, listen, I am the I am I I come from a very trashy area. I will put gravy on everything. That is a full-on condiment for me. It's not just for Thanksgiving. Um you know, it's uh, the fifth so. food group. Delicious. Uh, the last thing I'll say about Iceman, and then we'll transition into our issue review, is uh, I, I was unfamiliar with Vincenzo Caratu's uh, art before this series. Uh, it's an unexpected choice, but it's beautiful. Uh, he's really doing an incredible job. Do you want to talk about working with uh, Vincenzo at all? Vincenzo is awesome. I think that, you know, I've said it before and I'm saying it here. I think that in the next couple of years, you're going to be talking about him in the way that people talk about um the way that people talk about Pepe or or RB Silva, like I, th- I mean, you can see that sort of growth in his work, and I think that Vincenzo's incredible. He's even more incredible when you find out that he's only been drawing comics since 2016, which mm-hmm. is something that he told us uh, when we got together. Um, so no, I mean, listen, he's he's as you said, he's unexpected for this book, but I also think he's ended up being nearly perfect for this book. Like we. There was a push that this would be a book that wasn't necessarily, for lack of a better term, like like Bobby's pathos in this does not come from being gay. Like that's not the type of book that I personally write. So uh, at least when I can avoid it. So art wise, like there was a world where this could have had a quote unquote more indie feel, but we wanted like a superhero. Like we wanted we wanted a, a superhero style artist to depict with confidence and and a lack of sort of like. A lack of a specific spotlight, but just the, the um, I hesitate to say complacency, but like a positive complacency that, yes, like this is a book that stars gay and queer characters, and that just is how it is. Um, and I think that having an artist that you would maybe not expect that is very, like, very in the modern sort of mainstream style that you have with the Laraz or you have with the Silva, I think that that was that that helps sell that notion, at least for me, when they said that we, he was an option for the book. I was very excited. Uh, okay, we're going to set Iceman into continuity for just a moment. This is in the early 1970s. This is after the original X-Men run was canceled, but before Giant Size. The X-Men have kind of been relegated in this area of Marvel Comics to what Darkhawk might be nowadays. They are the bit characters that can get pulled in for a kind of a surprise appearance, and their fans are happy to see them. But this is before they are popular again. 
Uh, a lot of people may have even forgotten who they were at this point, because this is back when you're buying serialized books off the shelf. Uh, if we're putting it into continuity, Hidden Years has been added. So this would be after Hidden Years, Bobby's first appearance, I believe. Uh, he's in an interesting place, uh, disbanded from the X-Men, and he shows up prominently on the cover of Amazing Spider-Man number 92. There's a lot going on. This first 100 issues of Spider-Man is one of the most classic runs of all time. Stan Lee writing this character is brilliant. It's interesting to revisit some of the terminology and the ways that Peter Parker behaves uh, from a 2023 perspective, but we'll talk about it. Basically, all you need to know for this, there's a corrupt politician named Sam Bullitt who's trying to make a play for district attorney. Uh, he's pushing uh, Gwen Stacy to support him because in a recent issue, Gwen Stacy's father, George Stacy, who is a police captain, uh, has just died in a conflict between Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus. A chimney fell off a building and he it killed uh, George Stacy. And uh, Gwen believes that Spider-Man is responsible now, Spider-Man comes home from a mission into Peter Parker's apartment. He's still in full uniform. And Gwen is inside, and Sam Bullitt is there, and he is pushing her to support him for DA because he thinks it will help his public vote. Uh, Gwen is upset because the guy who just killed her dad, or so she believes, is now in Peter's apartment. And Peter is desperate to prove that he and Peter Parker, or excuse me, Spider-Man is desperate to prove that he and Peter Parker have nothing to do with each other. Uh, so that's where we start. It's Amazing Spider-Man number 92 from January 1971. Stan Lee's the writer and editor, Gil Kane on pencils, and these pencils are really beautiful in this issue, by the way. Uh, John Romita Sr. is on like Gil is one of my favorite artists from this era, and I didn't know that he drew it when I first went in because I didn't look, and then I just looked it up now, and I was like, oh, no shit. Yeah, of yeah, course, it's pretty. It's amazing. Uh, and Artie Simic on letters. Uh, let me begin by just hearing some of your thoughts on this era of Spider-Man before we uh, jump in. What, what do you guys think? Is this an era you're familiar with? Uh, have you revisited it recently? Look, I'll go I, first. Uh, I have not. So let me just get that out of the way. Like, I was I was excited to dig in because I absolutely had not. I just read the first 211 issues of Amazing Spider-Man in a row over the last few months. Uh, so I did just read this issue, but about 100 issues ago. <laughs> so pretty fresh in the mind, honestly, is one that stuck around. But this this particular era is actually some of my very favorite of Spider-Man so far. The Jill Kane and then like soon to be Jerry Conway era. But this late Stanley stuff is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I most recently reread this for Iceman as a homosexual um, uh, give people context. Give people context as far as what that is, Rob. Oh, that's the the blog I mentioned at the top of the show, um, where I'm rereading all of Iceman's appearances and and uh, uh, finding the context for his coming out uh, in 2015. Um, but I also uh, I have actually read the uh, the entire Stanley run here um, uh, years and years ago. There's this store in Toronto, this like publisher overstock store. Um, and they had like all of the Marvel essentials and they were on clearance for like three for 10 bucks. And I got like so many Silver Age comics out of that and was like, well, at, you know, to read the entire Stan Lee run for, for $10, great. Or $20, however many essentials I had to buy for that. But yeah, I got the whole like Spider-Man Fantastic Four. And it's, it is really refreshing to read some of these Silver Age things. Um, because the only previous Silver Age stuff that I'd read was X-Men uh, of, of Stan Lee's stuff. So it was uh, nice to see um, some of his other, like, I guess, I feel like his his Spider-Man is way more personal than his X-Men run was. So, sure, sure. yeah. 
Uh, Spider-Man has a lot going on in this era of comics. Uh, I love Mary Jane. I love Gwen Stacy. I've talked about both on my show, but my favorite characters are always Betty Brant and Liz Allen whenever they show up. Uh, we also get Robbie Robertson, who is the, uh, the black editor of the Daily Bugle working under J. Jonah Jameson and maybe the only man that JJJ respects. Uh, so there's a lot of characters floating around in this issue, but it's, uh, it's a ton of fun. Uh, we also get to talk about Liz Allen in a few weeks when uh, Saber Pirzada comes on the show because he's been writing Liz uh, in uh, the Misery book. But anyway, that's supplemental. Uh, beautiful cover. I believe, and I may not be correct here. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I believe this is the first time we see the Iceman logo. So uh, this is called When Iceman Attacks. The Iceman letters are all in blockaded, uh, icy form. Uh, Iceman is shooting a spear, cutting Peter Parker's web. Uh, this time you're facing a pro webhead as Peter Parker is pulling Gwen Stacy uh, across the city. She's clearly very reluctant to go. She is dressed gorgeously. Uh, so before we jump in, also every window has a person in it. They're all looking or shaking their fists. Uh, it's an incredible cover. And I'll note out loud in advance, that uh, Iceman's use of his powers in this issue is the most impressive that we have seen in the comics thus far, it being 1971. Uh, Steve, do you have thoughts on this uh, on this cover? <laughs> I mean, I the whole opening, I mean, I, this is classic shit that I love. Like, we would have, there's so much going on. Like, when I read Silver Age stuff or, or Silver Age Jason stuff, I guess this is still Silver Age, like... I don't know the envy I have for how much they get done in a given issue. Needless to say, on this cover, like I can already foresee the notes you would get today that there's way too much happening here uh, between like the three different, I mean the 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 three different captions slash balloons. They have the three characters, and then as you said, as someone in every single window. Um, so my my comment is one of envy. Like like what like like the the risk aver aversion has certainly increased in the intervening fifty plus years. Um, so no, I mean, I'd like, I, I love the cover. I love the opening in media res another thing we could, we can't do anymore. Uh, so like, yeah, no, like reading this, I was very excited. And then I kind of wanted like a DeLorean to where I could do like these super <laughs> type of issues. I mean, every single page in this probably has more balloons than a traditional writing jargon, uh, and, and dogma would say that you should be allowed to do like right now, for example, like it's kind of like looking at. I mean, it's the same thing that we do now, but it also isn't. And I find it very, very exciting. But that goes for the cover, and it goes for a lot of stuff I'm going to say once we get into it. Excellent. Uh, Steve Duda, guide us through the first few pages of the book. Tell us what happens. And and listeners, if you want to pause here and go read the book quickly, it's well worth it. It's a fun read, uh, and we're going we're gonna to jump in. Uh, so, uh, Steve, go ahead. Happy to. Um, yeah, we open immediately with Peter busting into his own apartment, and there is Gwen and Bullet. And uh, I don't know if we mentioned this, but Bullet actually had Peter Parker and his civilian guys beaten like on the street last issue. Yeah, so yeah. he's pretty he's pretty mad. He's in a very bad mood. So he shows in and Gwen starts off with the whole Spider-Man, the one who killed my father, which she's always throwing at him whenever she sees him at this time in the comics. And uh, Peter just I, sorry, I have to make a note here. We mentioned the cool Iceman logo on the front cover. It is so frustrating to me that this is not the same logo <laughs> on the splash page cover. It's, but, it's melting on page one. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a little, yeah, I don't know. It's more Iceman comics kind of deal. But uh, he jumps out the window with Gwen because his only thought is there is no option besides to take this woman hostage in order to keep you know, the kayfabe up that I am not Peter Parker. I have to constantly be committing crimes as Spider-Man and sacrificing my reputation in order to, like, just throw people off. And it's 
it has always been so weird to me that Spider-Man just like decides that this is how the kayfabe has to work. It's always like there's no other option. Yeah, I'm going to emphasize yeah. this out loud really quickly. This girl just lost her father. It's the girl he loves. He's so desperate to keep his secret identity that he's kidnapping her and yelling at her to prove to her that Spider-Man's not the same as Peter Parker, which is a really fucking shitty thing to do to somebody that you care about, especially when she's going through the largest trauma of her life. So I love, I love you, Peter Parker, but fuck you in this issue. Also, like, he's trying to also convince her that he's not the person who killed her father, and he's going to do that by terrorizing her for the next 20-odd pages. Oh, it's a great angle. Like, I'm an asshole, but just not that asshole. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's his directly his idea is, I have to make sure she thinks I'm a king-size heel, but also that I'm not a murderer, uh, which is fine. You know, there's a lot of middle ground there, but Gwen is really freaked out. So he, he jumps out of the window with her. I want to draw attention to the fact that she is wearing this amazing outfit that I wish I had myself of a purple miniskirt and a purple um, sweater vest over what appears to be a full cannabis leaf print blouse. Yep. yep. Gwen's a yeah. pothead at this issue. <laughs> look look real closely at those. I mean, there, there are a lot of stuff in the Stanley later on where people will just look at like Harry and Mary Jane and be like, you two know about drugs. And they're like, yeah. Rob, yeah, Rob is aghast at this revelation. <laughs> It's very funny. I looked super close. There are about seven leaves in a varying width on each with a stem. It is really on the nose. But after they get out the window, it's just a lot of Spider-Man running away. And we get a lot of really quick overlapping thought bubbles of, you know, Bullet being like, this proves my case. Law and order will win the day. I'm running on the anti-Spider-Man ticket. That's always popular in the Bugles neighborhood. And we've and, got a note on panel two on page two that like under chin shot of Bullet is amazing. He looks so gross, <laughs> but in the best it is, way. Later in this, Spider-Man makes a reference to Edward G. Robinson, and it cannot be more obvious that Bullet is literally just Little Caesar on the page. It's wild. Edward, um, uh, this this being a classic uh, Hollywood actor from the Golden Age. But yeah, please go ahead. Oh, yes, sorry. Also, an, by the way, a good, a good object lesson as to why you should never make your cultural references too uh, contemporary in a book. Um, but I also I, I also noted the Edward G. Robinson thing. So you're right. It's like, but you know, now if kids go back and read that, nobody knows who Edward G. Robinson is. That's why we try to keep things a little more generic these days um at least when it comes to cultural references but then again you know um i think that's only true for characters like spider-man that are nebulously always happening in the now <laughs> yeah it's funny how you can get away with bogart references constantly even in this very comic but like little caesar is just it's just a step too little it really is i mean yeah, no, I, I, think probably, I probably wouldn't make a bogey reference other than as the verb bogart. Like if someone was bogarting a cigarette, I would probably use that in a book. But, uh, you know, then again, like we all not all, but I love, like I love Starman and there could not be a book that was less that was part of me that was more built than a house of cultural references. Like Jack Knight was like one giant antiquated cultural reference. So um, anyway, this is all to say I also noted Edward G. Robinson on there and um I know. I mean, also, Bullet was a wildly popular movie five years before this thing came out. So I feel like that has to be uh, there has to be yeah. some Steve McQueen in there. It's weird because that's like it seems clear that that's the name reference, but the character and the plot, I I can't see it. I don't know what's going on with that, but it just seems like it was a cool name that they wanted to throw in that they had just seen in a movie in 1968. 
But well, uh, it, that's also very 1992, right? Like most of the image launch characters were just named after cool shit people had seen recently. Absolutely. Or uh, I don't know. I I always like to bring up, but one time a wrestler saw the movie The Crow, and you know now we have this we have Sting, and it's just been a really long time. You're only talking about literally my favorite wrestler in the world. Uh, I was gonna say, careful, Steve Orlando will go on a tangent. How dare you say that when Nyla Rose wrote a comic with you? She's listening right now. I mean, Nyla did write a comic with me, but Nyla would probably. I mean, like uh, you know. Nyla was not my dad when I was seven. I don't know what to say. Like, insane. That's super fair. Um, no, I love Sting. We love Sting in this house, too. And I'm also a big, like, like, like you know, your point is fair, because I can't say that I love Surfer Sting, but I do like the version that came after. I enjoy Joker Sting, for how, even though it was completely batshit insane. It's been coming back lately. I don't want to go off on a Sting tangent. No, no, when, are you kidding me? When he teased the Joker Sting coming back, I, like, I, I think I, I think I aged five years in that moment. <laughs> I uh, I love tangents, but I'm putting us back on the track. Let's no, no, you're right. <laughs> Speaking of jokers, uh, like uh, Mr. Bullet here. <laughs> Thank you. I will also say Pipsqueak Parker uh, is a solid burn for 1973 or whatever. I've always, I guess, folks. There's no reason folks would know this, but Frank Barbarian and I frequently will just send a screen cap of uh tony revelori's flash thompson saying what up penis parker um it's so so stupid that i can't not laugh at it like it's 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 so perfect but pipsqueed parker it's pretty up there oh man penis parker i'm never gonna forget that one so uh yeah he he takes Gwen out the window and it's just a lot of him thinking about what he has to do him thinking about how he has to convince Gwen that he didn't kill uh, George Stacy, but also how he has to come off like a real asshole right now, so she doesn't think he's Peter, who is not a real asshole. Which I don't, I don't know if he understands how people view him as Peter Parker. Uh, they they end up flying right or swinging right over Bobby, who is dressed in a purple plaid jacket with a tie and uh, blue pants. He is on a date with some gorgeous girl, uh, and he notices Spider Man. Uh, probably looks at his butt. That's my thought. But Gwen is screaming. Uh, his date uh, yells. Bobby's date yells. Look at that poor girl. Uh, apparently, Bobby's been trying to get this girl on a ride, like a date for a long time. Apparently, he spent weeks trying to get her to go out. And now that Spider Man is there, he needs to run off and uh, and go help. So he just kind of tosses her in a cab with a comment about how late it is. <laughs> thoughts on I spent as a date here. <laughs> it, okay, it's we need to talk because okay, this poor girl who doesn't even get a name. Um, this is like when he packs her into a cab. This this is a thought balloon of I hated to do that, especially after it took me weeks to try to get a date with her. He is saying this for somebody's benefit, and I think he, he this is him putting on a show. He's like, oh God, yeah, no, I was uh, definitely I really wanted to you know play with her boobies and and all of that but no this is more important sorry gotta go um, i just it's so it's so wild to me like what they decide to put in uh thought bubbles and what they decide to put in speech bubbles but i think this is intentional here uh steve orlando what did you say about Iceman as a date oh i was just gonna say like i like it's even more bullshit i mean she knows she's like look how late it is it's still obviously like midday Okay, like, 
Like they have the capability to color things as if it was nighttime in 1973. So like it just, I just laughed that it's even more bullshit. Like that's one step away from like, oh, I have to return some videotapes, like Patrick Bateman style. So Bobby um, Bobby strips his shirt off and he's got this like little flippy hairdo and he's all built and lean. I'm I'm into this look for him. It's great how he takes every opportunity to just strip down in alleyways. I've I've read the Iceman volume one over and over, and this is just the thing that he does. It just comes back to me, and I love him for it. And also, like all straight men, he refers to women as females. Yes, you know? yes. Uh, uh, okay, uh, Steve Duda, keep us going. What happens when Bobby ices up? Thank you all for taking care of that for me for a little bit. Uh, Bobby ices up extremely dramatically. There's a really great panel of... Uh, Jill Kane drawing Bobby raising his fist and screaming at the sky like an old man. Uh, he ices right on up and goes after uh, Spider-Man. There's a nice little um, kind of cinematic view of, you know, just like long panels of him icing over to a rooftop and kind of showing off the impress impressiveness of the ice bridges. But he catches up to Spider-Man as Gwen Stacy is... Doing this extremely dramatic, it's probably my favorite pose in the entire comic, but Gwen Stacy is on the ground and she's shaking with rage and she's got a furious tear dripping from her eye and she's just saying like, you you loathsome, arrogant savage, you aren't even fit to mention Peter's name. He's more man than you could ever hope to be. And Spider-Man is basically, Peter Parker, is basically in the middle of being like, oh man, I wish that she could know how happy that makes me to hear that she really likes the other me, even though I'm being a complete monumental dickhead right now. But then, you know, Iceman takes this opportunity to show up and starts throwing ice cubes at him. There's really no other way to describe it. He just turns on the, you know, that thing on your fridge where you push the button and ice cubes just shatter all over your floor. It's exactly that, but in Iceman's face. <laughs> and it the entire time, uh, Spider-Man is just thinking to himself, like, man, I just wanted to be, I just wanted to convince Gwen that I'm an asshole and not a murderer. And now this jackass is gumming up the works, tells him he's barking up the wrong tree, calls him a frostbitten freak, which is a, a little personal and a little vicious from Peter here. But my single favorite moment in this issue outside of, uh, you know, Bobby stripping in the alley is uh, Spider-Man goes running toward him and Bobby just like creates like a little teeny ice slick and Peter falls on his ass. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good gag that'll come back later. With the issue. I love that he also just says, you're not even in my league. Like, it's just the cattiest game put down to, to, to give him there. Like, why is Iceman so mad at Spider-Man here? He saw him take off, you know, with a girl or whatever, but, like, I don't, I don't know. He just really wants to prove something today. I mean, there's a girl also screaming. Also, they, they fought in the X-Men before in that old mm -hmm. fun Factor 3 issue. But they, they met multiple times in the Silver Age run. Like... Oh, they're acting like they they have no idea who who they are. That, like they can't just like, hey, let's have a conversation. What's going oh, on here, Rob? Everybody in the Silver Age was constantly worried that Spider Man and the Human Torch would turn on them, and it would be disastrous. I love reading those early Fantastic Four's. Where they're like, what if Johnny turns on us? And it's like, why are we asking ourselves that question? Everybody's like, imagine if Spider Man turned on us on humanity. It would be. A catastrophe. Also, Bobby's just really horny to superhero. It's been a little while. The X-Men are disbanded, and he is so excited to go get to fly in the sky and fight someone. Uh, Rob, take us through the next section of the book. What happens next? So, um, uh, Bobby and Peter are fighting. They're still pretending that they've, you know, never met. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Spider-Man sees that uh, Bullet and his crew have 
caught up to them. Like they're on the ground below and they're cordoning off the building, which is a big problem because if they cordon off the building, I got nothing. I don't know why this is a problem for Spider-Man. He can just leap off the roof. That's typically how he gets around everywhere. And that is exactly what he does. He's like, oh, uh, fight's over. Flip. Bye. <laughs> and um, and so uh, uh, Iceman takes Gwen back down to the street, rescues her. She's very grateful. Um, and she's well, having a bad I, mean, I assume she doesn't yeah. actually give a line. She doesn't have a line here. She, he just picks her up and... and you know, wheels her down this slide. Um, but uh, Bullet is grateful. And he he looks at this as an opportunity. He's like, ah, I can say that, I can imply that Iceman's working for me. Um, and then I'll get the credit for stopping Spider-Man. And uh, it kind of pushes him around and says, you know, stay on his tail. I want him caught, understand? And Bobby's like, uh, sure. I, who are you? Um but uh, doesn't disabuse the crowd of that's what's going on. So everyone thinks that uh, he has enlisted Iceman to trap the web slinger. And that is uh, the kicker on the story that the Daily Bugle uh, actually publishes for some reason. Um, I guess I, I, so I'm not like super up to date on the Spider-Man continuity here. I have read the preceding issues, but it was 10, 15 years ago. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming this is uh, the Daily Bugle has endorsed him because they like law and order. Um, J. Jonah Jameson is a conservative, but not a bigot. But, you know, so that, you know, uh, tickled him where he needed to be tickled. Yeah, that's and, that's uh, a fair I guess assessment. This, yes. Yeah. I really love the anti-racist Jonas section of the late 60s to early 70s, by the way. is some of the best Jonah writing ever. It's like, I may be a shithead, but I'm not a racist. Yeah, well, Jonah, I mean, you're supposed to believe that he's a proper journalist, except for, like, you know, he's got this one thing, this one bugaboo about Spider-Man that, you know, obscures everything else all his training, all his sensibility, but otherwise he's a good journalist um, and uh, and, a, and a good person, you know, uh, he's supposedly until, you know, he hires a scientist to build a death robot to go after a teenager. Um, One of my but, very favorite so, things that Stanley ever did, though, was creating the character Robbie Robertson to be the wise, ethical balance to J. J. Jonah Jameson. And we get a key like moment in their relationship here in just one panel where Bullet storms the office and he does not like Robbie very much. Uh, Robbie's saying, I could print the truth about you. And Bullet says, uh, anyone ever tell you you know too much, black man? And Jonah jumps in, shut up. Robbie's going to hang you. Like his willingness to like stand up immediately against the racism that's thrown in here. Uh, but we get that term black man thrown around a couple times in this issue and it's uncomfortable. But I love, love, love Robbie's portrayal as like the ethical journalist uh in in lee's early writing it makes me really happy yeah i mean bullet throws around a couple other epithets as well that oh, sure. uh, are yes. uncomfortable uh but um you know i think i think uh here it like it works because it is the villain of the story like this is you know we're looking at someone that uh, I'm assuming is some kind of Klansman or something. They don't actually say what racist groups he's hanging out with. Uh, presumably they're not anti-mutant groups because he's happy to associate with Iceman. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, this whole thing has turned really quickly. It went from the Daily Bugle endorsing him on page seven to on page eight, uh, he's 
calling Bullet to let them know that they are withdrawing their endorsement um, because they have found out that he he's in league with these uh, racist groups, um, which, you know, you'd think uh, might be a little bit more have might have been a little bit more well known. But, you know, at the time, the Internet didn't exist. So uh, um, it actually took some some on the ground journalism, I guess, to find this out. Uh, but all, all of which happened off panel. Um, so Bullet comes in with his thugs to intimidate uh, J. Jonah Jameson and uh, Robbie Robertson into uh, dropping the story and maintaining the endorsement. And uh, like you said, uh, Jonah just tells him to shut up and get the hell out of his office. He's not taking that shit. And um, uh, so he leaves. But uh, luckily... Peter Parker was in the, the office for whatever reason and decided to hang out. And he is there to witness when the thugs come back and kidnap Robbie Robertson, just like walk him out of the building at gunpoint. And, um, you know, luckily they are doing this in a completely empty newsroom where there's nobody around to witness it. Um, sure. Mr. Orlando, will you take us through the uh, the third section? What happens next? Yes, no, I like, and I should say again, like everything you've been saying, I was surprised, like, because uh, I haven't read a ton of, uh, especially like 60s and 70s Spider-Man. I must admit it didn't seem surprising to y'all, but like the, the track jo Jonah takes uh, was refreshing to me in many ways for all the reasons you're saying, because again, like I, I this is. Uh, at this time, when I was a kid, uh, well, I wasn't alive in 1973, but when it comes to this era, I was mostly, I had mostly read DC stuff. So a lot of this has been nice and surprising to me. Um, anyway, as you were saying, like, like th they barge in, uh, things get hot. I'm extremely envious of a trend of a tiny transition panel, middle mid page. I know these are not the things that you have me on this podcast for, but this is the way I see things. And the fact that we can get like a complete, like cut to the outside in this tiny panel in the middle of page 10 is I, Oh, I long for it. It's such a cool layout. Um, and I, I mean, I love the layout of this anyway, but so, um, you know, Peter sees that drama is happening inside the, the bugle decides that he has to, uh, follow bullet and his boys. And, and of course, like protect Robbie from himself when it comes to standing up to bullet, who's supposedly dangerous, despite being, uh, an all around, uh, sort of, slovenly mobster um but as uh as you might imagine um you know when he goes to into pursuit he gets he gets rasped by iceman's little ice claw like and i uh i was actually excited to give you this section most of all because iceman uses his powers in some really fun ways which is something you're exploring so much in your book yeah he but... has like the little grabby claw like you would use to pick up trash if you were doing uh community service uh which is very nice um so but i and and they and they're immediately boasting as well like i often joke that like everything in dragon ball z like even if they're talking about people's power level they're just talking about each other's dicks and like <laughs> and and like oh i've never seen someone with like over five thousand before like i bet you haven't goku um <laughs> that's the biggest that's the biggest power level i've ever seen on a man but that's also how i feel about bobby's boast it's all like 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 Spider-Man's jokes are lame and his are all so tough guy. Um, and they, and they get into fighting again, ostensibly for a very unclear reason. Iceman is, 
I guess still convinced that that Spider-Man is the guy that was go, like going after Gwen, and uh, perhaps as we noted, that is a fault in Peter's plan uh, to be a convincing asshole and just not a murderer. Um, clearly, it worked on quote that animated snowman. Um, but things uh, break out in pursuit, and as you said, like Iceman does use a fair amount of power. See, I also like I've always called it an ice sled. Um, but it's definitely an ice bridge in this issue. And again, terminology, I'm just like, what have I been wrong my whole life? Um, but he has his little ice wall. Uh, that, but ironically, I do think it's funny that the ice screen, which is ostensibly transparent, blocks Spider-Man's vision. Um, but it was the, it was the 70s. Um, and they keep like Iceman's begging him to give up and deliver him to a nice cozy police station. So this book is certainly not as progressive as we thought. Uh, but, you know, and all this time, Iceman's like, or Spider-Man is like, wait a minute, I've been fighting Iceman for so long. What about Robbie? The purpose of my entire being here. Um, by the time we're at page 14, I'm very encouraged to see that instead of calling women females, Iceman is now using some other chick. Uh, so now he's sounding more like a straight bro, at least, and it's more convincing. Um, he locks Iceman in a giant, like, carbonite-style block of ice, um, which Iceman, or pardon me, Spider-Man immediately breaks out of um, and calls Iceman Big Mouth, another devastating put-down. Um, but Iceman still thinks that Spider-Man's full of shit and lying about wanting to help Robbie. Uh, and again, seemingly thinks that despite all of his powers, Iceman is helpless without his, quote, ice bridge. Uh, which to the to that end does seem to be true, at least at this point in the story, when Peter just webs him up uh, by page fifteen and gets on to saving Robbie Robertson. Uh, um, and I will uh, I will cover the back half here really quickly, uh, and sure. then let's talk about the impact of this issue. So Spider Man and Ice Man team up because that's what you do in a superhero fight. They defeat Bullet's men. They free Robbie. Uh, they web up their hands, ice up their hands. Uh, Bobby slides down an ice pole because that's what we always need from Iceman in a comic book. Uh, Spider-Man kicks the guys in the face. We get a zowie webhead. Do your thing, but leave some for me. Uh, Iceman forms another ice ramp. Spider-Man bowls a guy down it and knocks the other criminals away with a batwing. Uh, Bobby gets awesome, by the way. I'm sad that I didn't, I didn't do that myself, but please continue. <laughs> it's, it's actually really great. Bobby in this issue. This is my favorite Iceman issue that we've covered uh, on this show so far. Easy. Uh, uh, Bobby goes, wow, not bad for a guy with no talent. Uh, Bobby unties Robbie, who complains about his cold hands, which is hilarious. Iceman then forms an ice loop and catches even more bad guys in it. Uh, they round up all the bad guys. They interrupt Sam Bullet's rally because uh, the far right can commit crimes and then stand up and preach about law and order and American decency. Yuck. But uh, Spider-Man and Iceman are there. They interrupt. They call Bullet a crook and a liar. Joe Robertson is with them and Bullet ends up arrested. And that's kind of where things end. He's kind of carted away. Uh, Iceman is standing in the back with Robbie and uh, we are continued into the next issue. That's kind of a quick wrap up. My favorite stuff in this issue is uh, the use of Iceman's powers. But the Iceman Spider-Man fight is actually really fun as well. Uh, what were you saying, Rob? I was just going to say, due to the sliding timeline, um, maybe not yet, but in a year or two, not bad for a guy with no talent, I think would be an actual um, conscious reference to Kim Kardashian saying, not bad for a girl with no talent. <laughs> 
Uh, this is the final appearance of Sam Bullitt, who has never shown up in a comic book ever again. Also, there is a mention of his running, uh, that he's running against uh, Nelson for DA, which is a reference to Foggy Nelson, who is running for DA in the Daredevil books at the time, which is kind of fun. Uh, what are our thoughts on this issue as we're kind of wrapping up our review? This is a really fun read, I think. It's a surprising one for Wait. 1971. So did Foggy Nelson win? Foggy Nelson does win DA, yes. Yeah. It's kind of cool that that continues off in the other things, although I don't remember if they ever mentioned that he was running against Bullet. I don't know if Bullet's mentioned in Daredevil or not, no. I don't think so. Until I take over Daredevil, so get ready. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would read a Steve Orlando Daredevil book. Outside of X-Men, Daredevil is my favorite. Big. You, a character with religious complications? I can't imagine. <laughs> I love that read. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, do we have any final uh, final thoughts on uh, on this issue? Uh, any questions that left lingering? I just, I, mean, I, I, love, just... I will just say, like you said, it ended abruptly, and all the times they say Law and Order, it ended just like an actual episode of Law and Order, as you said, because like literally, like there's no you know there's no wrap up, you don't even see what happens to Iceman and Peter. It's just like he's going to jail, fade to black. Um, so joking aside, I found that ending extremely appropriate. I enjoyed the little crumbs of gay Bobby. Um, you know, we got him sliding down that ice pole. I can't look away. We've got him changing in the alleyway, showing off that shirt, the hair, they, running away from a girl at any excuse possible. It's it's so good. Like, you can't tell me. You can't tell me you thought he was straight. Come on. <laughs> it's a great issue for that, and it reinforces that for the Spider-Man readers. It did for me. Uh, okay, to keep us on time, we're going to wrap up here. This was a delicious uh, episode just to kind of vibe about Iceman and to review this wonderful old comic book. I, I'm always happy to see all three of your faces. Uh, thank you all for coming on the show. Uh, we're going to put this out on September 25th. If you have any final thoughts, I'd love to hear them. But where can people find each of you online if you would like to be found? And what would you like to plug as far as work that's coming out uh, next? Uh, Mr. Orlando, would you go first, please? Sure. Uh, well, I'm at the Steve Orlando on Twitter. I'm at the Steve Orlando on Blue Sky and Threads, depending on which of those win the eventual Hunger Games after Twitter really dies, uh, which might be happening soon if it ends up being mandatory paid. Uh, and I'm at the Steve Orlando on Instagram as well. And those are the places to find me. Uh, regarding what's coming out, you said this is the 25th. I think on the 26th, even though it's at the other company, my Donna Troy one shot comes out. Uh, which I'm very, very proud of with our by Kath Lobo. Um, and then, of course, we have the third issue of Iceman. We have the ninth and tenth issues of Scarlet Witch. There is going to be big news uh, at New York City Comic Con as for what's next for Wanda. So that is not going to be out by the 26th but, or 25th or whatever you said. But that being, that being said, it's coming real soon. So I can't really plug that other than to say watch New York City Comic Con. And by the time issue 10 of Scarlet Witch hits, all will be known. I'm so excited. Uh, I want to know how much more Scarlet Witch we get, and I hope it's indefinite. Uh, I also want to <laughs> ask you questions about the upcoming X Office, uh, but I know better to than to do either of that. But uh, oh, I'm excited to see what's three, coming. You forward. get three once we're not recording, as always. Uh, I also know you and Steve Fox are going to be doing some X-Men Unlimited coming up, uh, and I'm excited for that work as well. Whatever you guys are going to be doing is going to be delicious. Yeah, we'll be doing X-Men Unlimited is going to be running alongside the literally just teased uh, Rise of the Powers of X. No, pardon me. Rise of the House of X, Fall of the Powers of X. I might have gotten those reversed because I'm not staring at it, but we're going to be <laughs> right along the two big 
uh, finale showdown uh, minis. And a lot of the stuff that's been going on in Krakoa is going to be paid off. Like X-Men Unlimited always was canon and always mattered, but it's really going to matter. And it's free on X-Men on Marvel Unlimited. So there's no reason not to check it out. Uh, Rob Salerno, next, please. Uh, yeah, you can find me at therobsalerno.com. That's where Iceman is a homosexual lives. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and I, uh, Blue Sky at Rob Salerno. Um, haven't really been using Blue Sky all that much, but I'm there for now. We'll see what survives of all the Twitter um, replacement Hunger Games. Um, and other than that, uh, to plug, I... Uh, you know, I'm a playwright and I have uh, my anthology of plays called Smashing Young Man. It's available on Amazon. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's me. And uh, Steve Duda. Well, yes, uh, you can. <laughs> I almost said it's me again. It's me, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's such a habit. You can find me on Twitter for now. I genuinely don't know if I'll be there past the end of the month with the way things have been rapidly shifting. I'm also on Blue Sky. I'm at this i'm at everywhere all the social media is on the same handle it's at howdy duda that's h-o-w-d-y-d-u-d-a uh relatively simple to find and i don't have anything to plug for myself that i worked on but i would like to say i didn't work on this at all but if you want some really good jazz i would listen to paris bamako jazz by jean-philippe riquiel and uh, baba sissoko it is a delight it is juicy it's just great music uh, wonderful. It's so good to see all three of you. I'm a huge fan, uh, especially uh, Mr. Orlando. It's such a good... It, I love reading your books. It's great to see your face today. Uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but the three of you can add me, although I think you already have. Uh, I uh, I am going to be taking a break from the uh, 70s X-Men for one month on my show, and October is going to be all Magneto. It's all Magneto prequels. It's all Magneto Patreons. Uh, And I've already recorded a couple of the episodes, and they are powerful. The next episode, however, coming out immediately after this, in place of the trial for the month of September, we are doing a Candy Southern tribute on my show, which starts with a group of friends and I uh, reviewing the book Candy by Terry Southern, which is a smut book. It's a whole experience, and then we talk about Candy Southern afterward. The next episode after that is about the Holocaust. So (laughs) those are two very different bookends for my show. (laughs) Keep it light. Keep it light as always. (laughs) From smut to the Holocaust. Uh, And then the last uh, Patreon episode coming out for the month of September is with my friend Christian Smith on the character D-Man, who is technically an ex-character now because he leads that group of transgender teens. Uh, We have a great time talking about it. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Steve and Steve and Rob. We will see you back here next time on Grand Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Grand Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Grand Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, It's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.